Welcome back to Bodybuilding Down Under, the number one natty bodybuilding podcast here in Australia. You are joined by three quarters of the full team. So myself, Lawrence, we've got DC and DY also. Unfortunately, Mr. Radford Smith is unable to join us today. And I just wanted to, you know, make a point that I'm the only one who hasn't missed a show. And we could look at this a couple different ways. The first is, you know, I have an extremely shallow existence in which I only appear on and host podcasts, train and work. And, you know, that's fair enough. But the other way we can look at it is, out of all of us, I care the most about the listeners and I just refuse to not be there to give them what they want. So I just thought I'd let you boys weigh in on that to start off with. Hang on, weren't you away for your, your church trip? Did you miss that one? Uh, I thought we changed the recording times. Did we? I feel okay. like we may have done the double, which we yeah, have, right. don't really do anymore because it's a bit of a seep. So I will admit, you know, I was fortunate on that one, but the record stands, the perfect record stands. I'm, I'm like Mayweather. I'm unbeaten. Well, I think Jack that's obviously actually credit heard. to me and you, DC, for us moving our scheduled podcast time to suit Lawrence. So I think it's actually... Yeah, yeah. I feel like we should be getting the credit, not, not him, right? Or yeah. it's you guys are like, well, we'll do whatever we can to, to reschedule because it falls apart without me. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, we would need to test one week and see how the uh, the viewers go. <laughs> like, you know, I think we skip you a couple of weeks down the line, don't let mm. anyone know, and then we can see how the viewers rack up compared to yeah. us missing mm. out. I know when I was away, it was a huge hit. Like, it went down by about 50%, I think. At least, at least. Yeah. yeah. You're right, it was a, a huge hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hit, hit as in, like, if the <laughs> audience went up, but that's what my as in Yeah, was. as in greatest hits. <laughs> well jack uh, obviously heard that i'd be back on the podcast today so he was like f this i'm out well what could have happened is that he maybe he's dropped weight and he didn't want to then have to tell you that you're now heavier than him again well that's it you know i'm, I'm 95 right now so i think he just got caught wind of that and was like oh shit i've got to go and, and, and scoff some olive oil mm. for, uh, for the next potty yeah absolutely we know how insecure he is about you know being the heaviest in the room so yeah, obviously we're going to be laying into Jack today. When someone's away, it has to be done. DC got the treatment last week, albeit not as severe as it could have been, which he mentioned off air. Yeah, I was listening to the podcast just before this. I'm thinking I was going to get ripped into a hell of a lot more than what I did. So I was quite surprised. Well, I think if anything, we probably all turned on each other. It was chaos without our father figure, DC. Mm, exactly. No one to just you know audit you guys yeah. and make sure you're on track. Yeah. yeah. Well, whenever Jack's on the podcast, it's always about him, Lawrence. So now oh, that mate, he's away for this week, I don't know who, what the case is going to be. Well, I think <laughs> the listeners can take a deep breath. You know, reassured guys, it's going to be bodybuilding down under today, not the Jack Radford Smith show. So you know, sit back, relax, enjoy some good wholesome content. But boys, it was Valentine's Day yesterday, so I thought we'd maybe just catch up on what we did with our significant others. Maybe DY kick us off, mate. Did you get into anything special? Um, I went out to breakfast with my partner. Um, we, I normally like to dodge the restaurant lines, especially on Valentine's day. I feel like you have to book out three months in advance and I didn't even know what the hell I want to eat two days in advance. So, um, yeah, we decided to go to our favorite little cafe just down the road. It's, uh, it's actually really good. They do some really good food. The place is called Todd and pup. If you're uh, in Brisbane, got a good little array of everything they always mix up the menu i think every season as well so they'll make some changes so every time you go down there you know you get something different but that's pretty much it but i did want to say i went to a florist like as as all both of you probably did 
And I went there the day before and I was like getting it all sorted. And they go, mate, you can come back tomorrow and grab it. And I was like, do I really want to go half an hour to go pick up the flowers again? Like I'm here right now. She goes, no, nah, mate, you'll be good. Uh, come, come tomorrow and I'll be nice and fresh. So here I am, have to wake up nice and early at like 5, 6 a.m. in the morning to go get these damn flowers from bloody all the way over at Rock League. But they looked beautiful and she loved them. And uh, we got some breakfast shortly after. Well played, sir. Yeah, I think the, the flowers are non-negotiable. What about you, DC? Did you break out the, the bouquet, mate? No. So <gasps> for, for us... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Well, for us, what we do is we always agree upon like if there's something midweek where we both have like a, a working day that we just sort of reschedule our day to somewhere else where we've both got that day off. So we've sort of moved tentatively our, our Valentine's to uh, to this weekend being Saturday. So it just gives us the opportunity to actually spend a wholehearted day together without any uh, distractions or you know the need to attend to emails or anything like that. So it's uh, so something we've agreed upon through, you know, the, the years we've been together. And um, it just just it just allows for a bit more of a, a centered day on one another as opposed to, you know, being distracted, et cetera. So it's technically Valentine's for us this Saturday. That's actually, that's actually a really good idea. You can dodge everything, dodge the chaos, yeah. and then, you know, get a day to yourself. Thing is, I did, I tried that with Lani, and I was like, like, this day works better. But then whenever we reschedule it, maybe I might put it a couple of days in front. But then when it comes to the actual day, she still expects something. So I'm like, well, there's no point on having a, another day for it <laughs> if you expect stuff on the on the actual day as well. It's pointless. Did that for a birthday, and it, uh, yeah. I think you're right, though. Like, the restaurant man, you just end up getting charged more for a set menu. So you've got less to choose from. And, you know, Gemma, bless her, bit of a picky eater. So if there's like <laughs> a quarter of the amount of options on the menu, you know, we're not in for a good time. So yeah, I, I do agree The I feel like the, you know, Valentine's Day ad adjacent approach that DC mentioned, that that's perfect, honestly. Because mm, we've always done it for like birthdays, for example, like my my birthday always tends to coincide around the the Queensland State Show, so it's just like it ends up not becoming a birthday at all. It's just another day, and uh, you know we celebrate it sort of either side. So we've kind of always done that, just moved the dates around and celebrated them on on different days. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? What are you about you, uh, Lawrence? What what? Uh, Mate, we um. Well, we were both like quite busy yesterday. Gemma had a pretty busy day, so we, by the time you know we had both worked and gotten through like training, etc. It was probably like four or five p.m., maybe five thirty. So, we were hoping to just go get like Italian takeaway, but the place where we wanted to go has changed their menu a lot, and then the other place that was the backup, oh, the wait times were just ridiculous. So, mate, we we decided to go for a very a booking that you know actually took us months and we we grabbed a kebab went down to the water and ate it and it was perfect mate absolutely perfect and i still can't believe how they find chickens that are in that cylindrical shape <laughs> i don't know what part of the chicken that is i don't know what size these chickens are you know they would have to be factory farmed in order to force feed them but absolutely incredible how they can get that that natural occurring piece of meat in that shape Mm. definitely some giant dinosaur sized chickens yeah. just roaming around in the the farmland of australia yeah but no the, the kebab i haven't had one in so long geez it's a great meal definitely not um the most probably macro friendly if we were to use that word but yeah they're, they're a good time lamb chicken what, what was it when the chicken yeah I, something that 
you know, the doner kebab where it says lamb and beef. I don't know, man. That's, that's a bit suspect. Like it's all in one and I'm just like, yeah, I think I'll give that a miss. I, um, I tend to not eat a ton of red meat other than kangaroo. So I, I went the chicken. But Gemma is like, this is how like fussy Gemma is. So her kebab last night was just chicken and cheese. Nothing else. No salad, no sauce. That's, that's her done. It sounds like more of a toasty, to to be honest. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. She's going to have like the falafels or whatever they are, like the little round uh, deep fried balls. Yeah. The falafels interesting. They're so dry though. Like so dry. Mm. You definitely need some sort of like condiment to Mm. to get that down for sure. Absolutely. I must say I've never gone to a kebab store and ordered them. It's always chicken. Oh, like you never got the falafel? No, never. Would would you get that on a kebab? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What Big about you? Now you got to pull up with a snack pack. We'll we'll confirm this next week, but I probably put every dollar in my bank account on that. Jack has never eaten a snack pack. I mean, he hasn't even <laughs> eaten KFC for goodness' sake. Yeah, did he? Did he not eaten Domino's as well? I think I listened Pizza to you on Hut. the last podcast. Pizza Hut, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Didn't even know Nando's was a thing. Apparently, mate, honestly, yeah. what a sheltered yeah. existence he's lived. <laughs> But mate, growing up with uh, doctor parents, it was probably like, you know, they're getting, you know, Gamelli takeaway. They're like, oh, we'll just get something simple tonight. And they're just getting, you know, copying $40 pizzas perhaps. Mm, exactly. Yeah. But DC, you were away up in Cairns, mate. Jim looked wonderful. How was the time away? How was training in the new environment? How was the humidity up there? Because we were, mate, we were, it was tough down here. So being mm. further north, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, I think some of the days up there was uh, like felt like 38 or 39, sort of close to 40. So that was pretty, pretty hectic weather. Uh, living in, in Brisbane and having grown up in Cairns, um, like I just kind of forgotten what the weather was like there until you, until you go back up. But you sort of acclimate to it pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. But um, I was up there just visiting some family. So they recently just moved back up to Cairns, relocated. And I'm really the only tech savvy individual within my family on that side. So I had to go up there and help set up the internet and everything like that, which made for an interesting week for, uh, for check-ins with athletes. So I was out on the balcony using hotspots on my phone. Um, and just the internet connection was very slow and being out on the balcony as well, obviously the humidity of cans doing check-ins in that heat with like shirt off, just absolute sweating. It was, it was a pretty interesting time, but, um, yeah, typically in my check-ins, I do like video check-ins. So I record myself, record the screen and also do like a voiceover. Just found I'm, find I'm able to sort of articulate and uh, display what I want want within the check-in uh, that to the best degree, you know, utilizing a few different formats, but just didn't have the internet connection to do so. So I just did a screen record and a voiceover, but was still able to deliver quality check-ins. But um, it was interesting where you can also train at... Uh, the world gym in, in Cairns, um, which actually I was very surprised. It's a great gym. Like, I mean, being world gym, they're, they're all pretty, pretty awesome. So uh, in terms of, you know, the program that I'm running at the moment, they've, they've pretty much got uh, very similar equipment with respect to, you know, hammer strength and plate loaded equipment, pin loaded machines, obviously free weights as well. So didn't really have to adjust too much in the way of exercise selection. So they able to get through some, uh, some quality sessions there. So yeah, it was a good week. Just catching up with friends, family, and um, and obviously just you know continuing to work. Yeah, I'll um I'll let you jump in on the secondary question. I'll throw it over to you after that. Dy, obviously it's good if you're at a, a good gym and everything is there that you would have in your program anyway. But hypothetically, like if you're training away and you're in a gym that isn't as well equipped as your normal home gym, 
how do you manage the tracking of the progressions and how do you still ensure that you get a good session even though you're not in your normal environment? Mm, yeah, it's a good question because I think like, for example, a lot of the equipment that we use in some of these specialty gyms, you know, things like pendulum squats and, and uh, certain types of, you know, hack squats, for example, like a lot of your, I guess, more set standard gyms don't have some of this, some of this equipment. So you may have to, you know, swap your exercise selection to, utilizing a barbell for a squat or things like that. And if you haven't run that movement for, you know, many weeks in a row, I understand uh, some of the concerns with regards to progression. I think in those workouts, you're essentially just laying that progression that you're relaying that foundation. And I would probably go a little bit more off uh, auto-regulate your intensity in relative to, you know, reps in reserve. So you may have to do a few extra sets to find that working weight that's within a proximity of the rep in reserve that you're, you're looking for, let's say, you know, one to two RIR, somewhere around there. And then you'd probably commence your working sets once you found that, that weight front. Wait, uh, I was in Cairns for two, two weeks. So uh, I was able to sort of run slightly different movements for that, for that two week. Like some of, the, some of the exercises I didn't have access to here in Brisbane, which was the, uh, the hammer strength hip thrust. I just want to give that a crack. So I ran that for two weeks. And the first week was just trying to trial, trialing the weight. Like I have no idea. I've never used this piece before. So I was kind of more so gauging reps in reserve as to the weight that I wanted to use for consecutive sets. And then the second week, obviously I've got a foundation of what I've done the previous week and I can progress from there. So, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned with respect to like, whether you're going to go, like you're certainly not going to go backwards with regards to your training performance. If it's a week, two weeks, three weeks where you're still training adequately and intensely, but perhaps your exercise selection is just slightly different. You know, as long as you're working uh, adequate amounts of volume and you're also taking your sets within a close proximity to, you know, failure, uh, you can pretty much be guaranteed you're getting an adequate stimulus in your training, irrespective of whether you're not able to, you know, write on your logbook that you've done the same exercise uh, in, in consecutive weeks. Perfect, mate. Do I? I think he's pretty much got it covered but that, that's pretty much what i do as well like if, if i go to a gym for example i train at powerhouse and world gym so sometimes there's times where i might go to where i might have to do one of my powerhouse sessions at world gym i just try my best to pretty much match match the exercises as best way possible for example like the smith machine at powerhouse moves a lot smoother but it feels a lot heavier than the one at world gym Macrovat. and i normally do probably about two and a half five kilos less on the powerhouse one so i just try and match the intensity some of the weight especially when there's different machines like you're not going to go from the hammer strength incline press and then you use those home brand ones it feels completely different so i try and match the intensity um in like what dc said over two weeks if you're training with intensity similar movement patterns to what you're used to similar sessions you're not going to lose any muscle at all in fact you'd probably even put it on like some some if you might even try out a new bicep curl you could over that two three weeks maybe even get some good knowledge stimulus mm, absolutely i think something's to said though for uh like not changing your exercise selection up too often though because yeah, particularly if you're someone who for example finds a little bit more challenging to gauge reps in reserve and like proximity to you know fatigue slash failure you can imagine that if you're widely changing your exercise selection up regularly and you're not actually able to gauge well you know the working weight the working weight that you're supposed to be using in that next session uh, you could be sort of training less intensely than, than you give yourself credit for, you know? Whereas if you have uh, some numbers to go off from the previous week, at least you've got almost like a correctiveness in place when you follow a program that 
If you've got a progressive overload mindset, okay, next week I'm going to try and add a rep. Or I'm going to try and add in two and a half kilos, five kilos. Like even if you were to uh, gauge that first week as being relatively underneath the intensity that you need, if you were to progress week upon week, eventually there's going to be that correctiveness in place that you'll start working towards that, you know, relative RRR, let's say two, you know, one, zero, sound roundabout there. So you can see why it would be challenging for someone who changes their exercise up all the time, but isn't great at, at determining their, their reps in reserve. So um, if you've got the means to, it's, it's why it's always good to run sort of a fixed block for a while, right? So you can actually document your progressions. But in the case of traveling, like you, you, you do what you can, right? With the equipment that you've got. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good way to sum it up. Hey, like it's in most cases, the consistency, keeping a block for, you know, a mesocycle, six, eight weeks, keeping things consistent is going to be important. And that's like 95% of your training should look like that. But if you do need to have a, a training session that's outside of your usual gym, don't stress. You're very unlikely to lose any progress. You might even gain a little bit. So yeah, I think that's well answered. We've got some Q&A questions as well, boys. So the first one says, thoughts on cold water immersion. Who wants to tackle that first? Mm. It's interesting, hey, because like, I think that the whole premise of cold water immersion was originally documented for its benefits towards reducing inflammation and, uh, and like speeding up recovery. Uh, and, I, and I think there's some benefits to cold water immersion um, and cold therapy, like for the, for the acute treatment of like traumatic injuries through, as a means of reducing inflammation, particularly if, if it's incredibly painful and it's your means of primary you know, intervention to help reduce pain. But I mean, the, the literature is pretty prof profound now with respect to it being having a delaying effect with regards to recovery. So particularly if we're moving from like the acute into like the subacute timeframe. So, you know, perhaps we're like a couple of weeks post, like say injury and someone's still using cold water, you know, cold treatment or frozen therapy, et cetera. I don't really see that as being, you know, greatly beneficial. Um, and then in the realms of, I think, muscular hypertrophy, there's quite a bit of literature that supports its negative effects with regards to reducing uh, that MPS, right? That mus muscle protein synthesis. So particularly post-training. So you can imagine if you went into cold water immersion straight after, you know, a productive gym session, you might actually be blunting the inflammatory response, which is very normal through training, right? So, so it's very much a part of the process of, the cascade of events that occur, you know, post-training to build muscle. So yeah, I think there's personally, I think there's more detriments to doing it than, than benefits really other than pain management. Mm. And I think it's interesting, even on like, you know, there still seems to be a bit of a debate as to like, you know, to ice or not to ice. Like if you think about the typical example of like a, a sprain or a strain, you know, sprained ankle, like there are physios and there are, you know, rehab professionals who will say, no, don't worry with the icing for that similar rationale you know like the inflammatory process is part of the tissue's response to healing so do we necessarily want to blunt that and i think the only point i would add in terms of when we think about it with regard to hypertrophy is i think the key thing there is like the chronicity at which you do it like you know if you're training at some you know boutique gym i think like you know strength sanctuary have ice bars they're all into that sort of stuff so if you're like doing a session there with your friend and they're like, hey man, we're going to jump in the ice pass afterwards. You know, if you're doing it as a one-off, probably not going to have a, a great effect. They're probably not going to have a great negative effect on your gains. But if you're getting into, you know, full cold water immersion, like you're dunking your whole body in there 
every single time after you train, you know, the chronic use of that, I think can have a negative effect. And it's similar to what we see in the research around, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, a one-off if it's around, you know, managing an injury and you maybe acutely need to use that in order to, you know, perform better probably not going to be a huge issue but if you're you know popping a couple neurofin before every single session and after every single session over time that is going to have a negative effect mm, mm. i could see maybe some benefit for perhaps individuals that have like multiple events of a sporting event over can like a weekend or something like that for example using cold water immersion as perhaps a means of decreasing their perception towards discomfort irritation or pain particularly Absolutely. if it allows them to yep. then perform you know, better in, in subsequent events. So if you think of someone like maybe a CrossFitter who might have, you know, in a single day or let's say a single weekend, they might have six events, you know, over the, the entire Saturday, Sunday, that, that might benefit them in the sense of, um, like I said, reducing that perception of irritation slash discomfort. But, you know, does that, does that again, in the grand scheme of things, like delay their recovery? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, it's almost like, a double-edged sword, you're sort of picking your poison, you're picking your benefit, but you're also, you know, weighing out your cost. Uh, yeah, that would be the only benefit that I would see. But to, yeah, but as I think, honestly, as a, as a hypertrophy athlete, a bodybuilding athlete, you'd, you'd use cold water immersion very sparingly, just like you've put it as like more of like a, hey, let's get it done and, you know, see what it's all about. But certainly not something that you should be doing, you know, weekly or daily or anything like that. With, with the, uh, like in the end, some inflammation is always needed, especially if you're training. So everyone always thinks like the inflammation's bad, which the cold emergent does bring down some of like of the inflammatory response. But in the end, you still want um, some inflammation for, to drive that response. Um, in terms of like heat therapy, I mean, like, you know, managing it with heat and cold, Lawrence, how do you go about the injuries? Like, do you suggest heat packing stuff that's like, like, let's say recently injured? Man, it, it's one of those things, hey, like you can, often people will ask like, oh, like I've got this happening. Should I do heat or cold? And they almost ask in that way where it's like a, a dichotomous decision of like, what's the right choice for this injury? And normally I tell people like for majority of things that are maybe a little bit more chronic, for example, like you've had a bit of a stiff back, it's kind of niggled on, it's a bit sore. Like I generally find that a lot of those things when it's more so stiffness, when it's more so, you know, the, the area just feels a bit painful. I generally say that heat is probably a better option. Like at least anecdotally, I found that like if my back is feeling a bit stiff, you know, hopping in a warm shower, putting a heat pack on there certainly makes it feel better than if I was to, you know, hop in an ice bath or put a um, cold pack on there. Whereas your things like your sprained joints, like, you know, the ankles, the elbows, the wrists, those are maybe more so what you would see for icing. But the majority of the time, mate, I just do it based on preference. Like whatever people tell me works better. I don't think there is a strong enough rationale either way where we see definitively in the research, like, hey, you should not be putting ice on this or you should not be putting heat on that. We just don't have those answers. So I tend to just tell people whatever makes them feel better because I think in that instance, their perception of what is helping is probably a stronger force at play in actually giving them some pain relief so i think that is probably a better way to approach it than you know saying oh for ankles we always do ice or for low backs we always do heat you know whatever they whatever they prefer mm. yeah 
Because yeah. I remember I was I was talking to someone a while ago. I think it might have been a physiotherapist. And he was saying like if it's extremely painful and you know it's causing a lot of discomfort, maybe ice it to numb it slash bring down a little bit of that inflammation. But he's like, if you could pretty much handle it and it's not causing like that much of a discomfort, and but it is there, like maybe like a lower back strain or something. He's like, I'd probably opt towards heat packing it because you know it might help with speeding up the recovery with the blood flow. Mm, I could almost see where if you were to introduce heat for a very acute injury, let's say for example, you, you sprained, you know, the deltoid ligament in your, in your ankle or something like that. And it, you know, your ankle absolutely blew up. You're playing netball or something like that. I don't see benefit from adding heat therapy right then and there, because I think that will only just increase inflammation and, you know, more inflammation sometimes is not necessarily better. You know, I think in those instances, you probably just need to immobilize and, and just kind of let the inflammation settle, at least let the pain settle. And perhaps that's when you would introduce something like ice for, for that. But um, David yeah. Dolgan, so would just strap that up and just mm. keep playing. Like he would strap it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Yeah, no, like there is the sort of do no harm principle for some of the, you know, a really acute injury. So like H, heat, a alcohol normally R is running. And then the last one's massage, like essentially just not doing anything that is going to poke prod disrupt the area. Like you just want to protect it a little bit, but it's mm. interesting, even like the, you know, the old, the classic rice, you know, that was always the, you rolled an ankle rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Like even that's adapted over the years when now we use something called police, which is going to be protection, optimal loading and then the rest of the acronym follows mm, so like yeah. even those things have changed where we sort of have learned more about you know what we can and can't do with those injuries um but yeah i think you're right there dc like obviously if you've got a a big swollen wrist or elbow or ankle probably don't go whack a heat bag on there i'm not sure how much help that's going to be yeah absolutely i think also like where the injury is too right so you know if it's it's if it's a little bit more um like to, you know towards the skin you, you could you might benefit from you know either cold or heat heat packing sort of thing but i think if you've got sort of a maybe an injury that's a little bit more deep deep seated within the thorax or you know something like that in sort of you know transverse abdominus or like a little bit more in, into the into the, the thoracic you know compartment then perhaps uh just putting like surface temperature treatment is not really going to provide uh benefit to that maybe just again playing into that placebo right so it's like someone comes to you and they say, Oh, you know, I, I've got this, um, like, uh, internal, you know, um, oblique injury or something like that. And, and I add a little bit of like cold and it, and it just really alleviates it. Like you're, you're, you're probably not going to challenge that for you and say, Oh no, that like the research doesn't show any benefit to that. Let's not do that anymore. <laughs> You'll probably go, okay. You know, I understand that that's a, that's a treatment modality that you're using and it provides you benefit. Like what else can we explore that might also help you to manage this injury? Yeah, absolutely. Well, DY, I was going to say next question is probably perfect for you, mate. So it asks, what are the difference between posing for men's physique and men's fitness? Well, with men's fitness, you don't need to do the muscularity rounds. So you don't need to do a side chest, side tricep, like no back double by. In fact, it's probably actually frowned upon by the judging panel like if you're sitting there and you're doing like back double biceps and so on like that you can actually get penalized um another one is like a lot of people in like men's physique that double dub 
dabble in men's fitness is they always clench their fist where they kind of don't want that for men's fitness. They want it like a more streamlined look. So you'll see a lot of these men's physique boys, they'll come on and I'll just pose super hard. They'll clench their fist, but it just looks too men's physique And a lot of the times we'll throw them over the line. So those are probably the main, main few is the no muscularity rounds, like the clenching of the fist. Like, you know, I guess it's more men's fitness is more like, I guess like a men's model. So I was like, you don't want it to be like full, hard, straighted, like, you know, everything on at once. Mm. It's almost like obviously men's physique is just that increase in muscularity. So that's when you start introducing some of those more muscular poses, right? Like you said, minus, minus, um, you know, like things like the crab pose, most muscular and obviously like lat spread. Yeah, you didn't even mention the finger guns, mate. Well, actually the finger guns, I didn't run for um, men's fitness. I talked to some people about it and they said pretty much probably knock it out because it, it did look a little bit like men's physique to an extent, but then like, yeah, it was a little bit distracting. And in the end, when I was going for my pro card, I didn't want anything. So if one little feedback from one judge over it somewhere else says, Hey, I wouldn't run the finger gun. Last thing I would be doing is running the finger gun as soon as they uh, told me to do it. So if you actually look back at all the photos, there was no finger guns in the last show. So the first and second one there was, but the last one, I didn't actually run it. It was super weird though, because I was practicing for about like 20 weeks with it. And then the last like four or six weeks, I was like, yeah, I probably wouldn't. So I'm like, I'm trying to scratch it out of my mind after just probably doing like, you know, 30 to 50 hours of posing doing the finger guns to then be like all right no finger guns and is it true you need an actual gun license to do finger guns a hundred percent okay yeah yeah registered that makes sense yeah as long as you've got the guns to go with it right yes this is true (laughs) all right well the next one boys this is a an interesting one i i don't even know what i'm going to say to this what would your job be if it couldn't be involved in health or fitness Ooh. that rules out a lot of jobs <laughs> yeah that and i honestly can't see myself doing anything outside of it because even like maybe other jobs that i might do that might not be related to bodybuilding and like online coaching like even that's still probably related in the fitness realm like you know you couldn't be i guess like a dietitian because it's like somewhat related there you couldn't coach football teams or anything like that something a little bit different so mm. it's damn hard I feel like I would be some sort of like data analysis or something like that. Cause I, I love, I love my spreadsheets. So um, <laughs> that's probably what I would do, who I would work for in, in what specific field. I'm not entirely sure, but hopefully something that makes good coin. That's, that's uh, <laughs> that would be the focus, right? Originally I was like studying some stuff for like architecture and it. So it would probably be something along the lines of that, something to do with computers, like what DC said, like he's, he's good with that. So I don't know. I, I honestly really don't know what I would do. Yeah. Well, because that's the thing, like, you know, I honestly don't even know what I would do if I wasn't a physio and if I couldn't be a physio, it probably would be like doing what you blokes do. And then like from that, like everything that I'm interested in is like health, you know, like if you couldn't be a doctor, maybe if it could fit in, like if I found the loophole, like maybe being like a vet or something like that, because you're still kind of learning how to help organisms, but that's health of dogs. So maybe we're not allowed to do that. Uh, I could see myself being a chef again. Like I was a chef at one of the biggest restaurants probably in the world, Red Rooster for a long time. Probably I was going to say like putting, putting uh QP mayonnaise on your, on your Zinger burger doesn't really make you a chef, man. I don't 
but cooking up the best birds in town does it does it does yeah, fair. i always wanted to like i wanted to be a journalist when i was a bit younger but then again i was always wanting to be like i would have wanted to be like sports journalist so maybe if that counts like I, I do enjoy writing and you know that sort of thing but yeah i think we'd all be pretty much floundering if we had to to leave this world so thank goodness we don't have to mm. um dc the next one this is one that you suggested we have a chat about so the difference between cheat meals and refeeds Mm, yeah 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 interesting interesting topic um i and this is just my my personal take but i've never been a huge fan of just using the word cheat other than like cheat meal like i feel like it's just almost like a whole pass to just go go absolutely nuts on your diet and like you know if you think about the context of the word like when is cheating ever considered to be a positive thing right cheating on a partner cheating in a test cheating in a sport like cheating on your diet like that's all lump sum to me as being like not 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 a good thing, right? Like a bad thing to do. So I think as we've got a greater emergence of evidence within the community, particularly in obviously the bodybuilding realm, we understand the utility of something like a refeed as being more of a strategic day of of a certain amount of calories that can can provide an alleviation of the diet condition. So typically it would be somewhere around you know caloric maintenance or or perhaps maybe just slightly below somewhere around there as being a means of sort of giving someone a stepping stone to look forward to within the week in terms of improving dietary adherence and maybe a temporary improvement in performance. Um, but I think, you know, talking about more so in, in the case of like a cheat meal, to me, that just, it, it just denotes like a, a, just a free meal, like eat whatever you want. Right. And you could almost imagine that if someone is in the off season and they were to coin something as a cheat meal, like compare that to when you're at the, the the very end of a diet phase and like a contest prep where satiation is is just non-existent and hunger is absolutely through the roof and someone says to you hey i'm going to give you you know a cheat meal like go out and just eat what what you want like you could quant you could you could justify eating 4000 calories in a single sitting right and that's considered a cheat meal like one meal like where does that where does that cut off like where <laughs> how much are we talking as in a cheat? So I think just using the word as a refeed and having a little bit more of a clear cut definition around that probably provides a little bit more guidance as to, as to what those are. What do you, what do you think do I? Well, I think like what you said, like the refeed more or less has like a purpose, like to, you know, either top up carbohydrates, maybe have a day where it's like, you know, increased energy intake. So then that may, might carry over and have some benefit towards training where a cheat day really has no limitations and it can be completely blown out of proportion. Like, like realistically, if you have a cheat day, it's like there, there is no limitations involved. You can eat whatever you want and, or even like a cheat meal. It's like, you know, it's, and that like you what you said in terms of like a contest prep could be make or break like some people like you see all the some big ifbb pros are like have a cheat day and it'll be like five thousand calories now if you're like a natty female competitor five thousand calories is going to be a lot of weight it could be a week of food of yeah exactly that's <laughs> pro probably nearly their whole intake for the week so it's like it can really cause some issues and exactly what you said dc i don't don't like calling them like cheat days so whenever someone's like oh can i have like a cheat meal or something i try and like i guess like move away from associating that like word cheat because like what you said like you know nothing really good comes from cheating so i like try and maybe call it like a free meal or an untracked meal or something along the lines of that so in that way it's not like it's just going to be completely blown out of proportion mm, i think someone like some people can be sort of somewhat interchangeable even with the use of like a refeed and a, and a cheat meal so 
someone could say, oh, you know, we're going to have a cheat day, but still provide like, uh, you know, guidance with regards to caloric intake and uh, sort of a structured meal plan and perhaps just use those terms sort of a little bit more loosely. Uh, and I think in that case, that's, that's probably fine. But yeah, I think if someone's, if coach is basically saying, Hey, have a cheat day tomorrow, like eat whatever you want. Doesn't matter. Like it does matter. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> if you're in a dieting phase, like it does matter. Like you may as well just say, Hey, just cheat up until your, you know, your, your comp, like it doesn't matter. Right. It's just eat whatever you want. So, you know, I think everything that you consume is going to have an effect, cause an effect on your body, the end result. Mm. Have and you I think, ever given a cheat cheat meal or a free meal and prep DC to anyone? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I don't. I definitely haven't. And I think it's a good point, DC, in terms of like the like the whole idea of like separating between cheat and refeed. Because I sometimes think about like in the enhanced realm where like the cheat meal option seems to be, you know, that that's a lot more pervasive than hearing the top guys. Like you never hear really like Harney Rambard and Chad Nichols and those guys. They never use refeed. They always say cheat meal. So I sometimes find it like almost like a bit of a cop out sometimes when they're like, oh, you know, like we just couldn't fill him up on, you know, hashtag clean foods. I'm like, are you serious? Like you got like carbohydrate powder. You could drink like a thousand calories of carbs in, you know, under a liter of fluid if you want to. So I just don't really see that as a rationale. Um, mm. But I also find it, you know, interesting, you know, when you think about like the cheat meal um, versus the refeed is like, you know, so I always used to like laugh when I listened to like Fuad's podcast. And look, this is not me trying to be like, oh, Natty's have it harder in, than enhanced because like, no, I'm not here for that discussion. But it's like, you know, he would be like, you know, man, like I was out there like 12 weeks without a cheat meal. And I'm just like, okay, man, that's cute. Like most natural bodybuilders are going to go probably 20, 30 weeks without eating off plan um, in a competitive season. But it also, it seems like a bit of an oxymoron to me because you've got like all these like super complex and detailed approaches when it comes to pharmacology on the enhanced side. And then you've got even some coaches who are literally boiling it down to the type of carbohydrate you eat. You know, I want you eating 50% sweet potato, 50% rice, this much of that. But then they're going to let you have a random burger and fries from some kitchen. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, you're going to have all your I's and T's dotted and crossed to the nth degree. But then when it comes to game day, the day before the show, you're like, yeah, man, just like go down to five guys and grab a burger. Like, what are we, what, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. And even from the sense of like food contamination, right? Like you don't mm. know what the 16-year-old dude in, like in the back of the, the kitchen, how much he cares about hygiene when he's preparing your burger. And particularly if it's like something like the Olympia, which, you know, for someone who perhaps, you know, qualifies for the first time, that's like their absolute dream, right? Just to compete at the Olympia, do their first Olympia show. And then the night before they're eating, you know, the the, the Five Guys burger that was prepared by the 16-year-old behind the uh the kitchen who took a shit and didn't wash his hands after like like I don't, that's, that's, that's the stuff that i think about i'm like i don't want to add any of that into the mix like i want to be as controlled as possible when it comes to my intake a little Reduce extra flavor <laughs> yeah fair boost that immunity right up but yeah i, I think you know we're all pretty much like you don't really see any of the top natural coaches um prescribing even like meals off plan like i know that some coaches particularly for their season a competitors will be like hey you know what like for christmas lunch just 
a lot, you know, this amount of calories, eat this around there, you know, be sensible, don't go completely teen off. And I think that can be a good thing, like maybe using a meal off plan for a social event. Like I was even thinking myself, like Gemma will be graduating from her uni degree mid-year and, you know, that will be probably July-ish. And in my head, you know, we're still going to be a decent way out. Obviously prep will be started, but if I'm sensible, like there's no good reason why I can't enjoy like a meal off plan as long as those calories are being accounted for. So I think there is an element where it can be utilized in a prep. Like even if you look at someone like Eric Helms, like his last prep, he was eating all around the world because he was traveling and he still came in really good condition. So I think mm. they can be used well, but I think we're all under the same agreement that at no stage should it be a, hey man, go have a crack today and see how much you can eat because it doesn't count. Like no. that's probably one, a recipe for disaster in terms of physiologically, but I'd also say psychologically, that's probably not a good place to be veering into in contest mm. prep. Even though you said like a lot of the natural coaches don't really give out, like the top natural coaches don't really give out like these cheap meals. I even noticed like at the very top, like I don't think I've ever seen Hanny give out a, a cheap meal. Like it might be a refeed day. I've never ever um, seen Nick Walker's coach, uh, Matt Jensen. I've never seen him give out a cheat day. Well, I don't know, mate. When in, you- one of, in one of Nick Walker's preps, there would be a day where he would like go to breakfast with Matt. And it would be like at IHOP or whatever. And this man was, dude, like it took him five minutes to like speak his order to the lady taking it. So like, man, if you want to call a refeed, okay, cool. But like, it's Mm. still pancakes and eggs and bagels coming out of some kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't know how you can go a whole prep of tracking absolutely everything to the T, especially like in the enhanced side of things, pharmacology, training and all of this. And then just one day just be like no stuff it you know right at the back end or even loading on a cheat day i'm like that's crazy i was like how can you go from tracking everything and just not track the most crucial day mm. i even remember, there's one coach over in uh america i'm not going to say the name um no, mainly, does only, uh, mainly does only female coaching um but like he'll do a meal plan up for the entire day but then every single day's meal plan will have like burger and fries burger and fries every single day of the meal plan but his clients come in good condition and he's who is this i'm gonna sign up burgers every day um missy uh truscott's coach you you you'd know him if you do enough searching but like a lot of his clients she she was with john meadows correct the late john uh, meadows yeah i I believe so but i think it was like used to somewhat train under him but then coached under yeah and it was like but the results are like you know obviously he does extremely well in terms of his divisions but pretty much like a prescribed cheat meal every single day so i've yeah i've left joe and now i've jumped over perfect mate i might come with you (laughs) yeah it's interesting hey like i was um i was even thinking like i remember when aj did you know a burger and fries before a show and i'm not sure if it was who, who advised him to, but yeah, I think someone, I'm, I think someone asked him about it on a podcast and he said he probably wouldn't be doing it again. And I think, you know, I would probably mentally really struggle with that. Like you go from being so meticulous, tracking everything because, you know, tracking almost like cures that anxiety sometimes when you get into prep of like, Oh, like I want to make sure I'm still a deficit. I want to make sure I'm not eating too much. And then you look at the numbers and go, okay, cool. I'm fine. Whereas if you then just had this like random meal, I'd be like, ooh, like, is this really going to be getting me closer to my goals? Mm. Yeah, like what you mentioned before around sort of the free meal 
uh, of sorts around like the Christmas time. Like I think at the end of the day, there has been times where I've said, Hey, you know, we can, we can employ a little bit more flexibility amongst, you know, something like Christmas. But I think the approach still remains in that. Like if you consume it, I still want you to try and accurately track it and get an understanding as to what you're consuming as opposed to, Hey, just have a free meal and sort of eat whatever and don't track it and don't worry about the amount. So, and I think there's like a big difference between like those two. Like I remember uh, even with, with BK, for example, uh, between, I think it was the Queensland show and uh, the nationals for actually, I think it was ICN nationals for with Montana and the IFBB Queensland show. We, we all went out to, I had like a bit of a team team dinner after at Grilled. And uh, I remember Montana eating uh, one of the burgers there from Grilled. But like that that wasn't a concern because I said, because we essentially were able to understand, okay, what would roughly be the calories in this in this burger? And also the premise here is that perhaps in between these shows, like the competitor doesn't need to be as lean. So perhaps that's might like a benefit to actually pushing calories up a little bit, considering that might be a two-week gap between the next show. So it's still like a, a, a calculated approach to nutrition where you're still understanding the requirement of the athlete, what they're putting in their body, et cetera, as opposed to, hey, this is a whole pass, go and order four burgers and uh, enjoy it. Because you know at that point of a prep, you can rationalize eating four burgers and, and feeling great about it, right? Gastrointestinally, you're not going to feel great, but from a hunger perspective, you're going to feel absolutely fantastic. For about an hour. For about an hour, yeah, <laughs> half an hour, right? You, you, the only, the only uh, understanding of being satiated is just the physical pain, discomfort mm. from the extent distension of your stomach. That's the only way that you feel somewhat full. Yeah. So to sum up, from BDU, it's just don't cheat on your diet, don't cheat on your misses, and life will be perfect. Simple, <laughs> simple. Well, boys, I've got another question here. What is everyone's favorite gym attachments? So whether it be for like arm training, pull downs, rows, what are your favorite attachments in the gym? I think a must would have to be like a good D handle. Like I think I use D handles on like a lot now. Even I even now put them on some of the pec flies. It feels really good. I agree. I'm a big fan of the soft D handle on a pec fly. Mwah. Yeah. Yeah. That even on like some of like the single arm lap pull downs, it feels really good. That's probably like probably my most used like gym attachment and feels really, really good. Mm. Another one would be like the cuffs for like single arm cuff lateral raises or when I do my bikini girl kickbacks, they always come in handy. Of course. Yeah. I love a good easy bar. I really do. But I like the easy bars that are a little bit less severe in their angle. Like it's almost a bit of a softer incline. Like I was doing tricep pushdowns today whilst DY was on looking and yeah, that easy bar there at Powerhouse is absolute perfection. Feels so good. Yeah, that, that one actually looks really good. And you looked really good doing it too, Lawrence. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Look, <laughs> I, I had to try get my confidence up because there were a couple boys in the gym that were absolutely massive today. I thought, you know, I thought I was getting a nice little pump in my oversized t-shirt and, you know, whip the tricep up, have a little bit of a look in the mirror. Not after I saw those boys get the pump covers <laughs> off. Bruh, they were massive. The tank underneath stayed on. Good. The pump cover stayed on. You're like, yeah, no chance. Absolutely no chance. Actually, after you were finished with that V-bar, you had more or less bent it into those harsher angles too from gripping it so hard. Absolutely. Yeah, that always happens. And then what I'll just do is I'll bend it back the next time I go to use it. Simple. I actually haven't used that uh, that bar like 
or the easy bar that you, mm. yeah, I'll have to give it a run next time. Yeah, give it a whirl, mate. What about you, big dog? Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of the the mag grips. I think they look really mm. they they feel really nice for for a lot of back training. But I was actually going to say this is not a set of handles that I've used before, but I keep seeing these pop up online. I'm pretty sure uh, Nunez has has a pair actually, which is the the Kaz handles. Yeah, are uh, they like the ridiculously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those mm. ones. Yeah, so they look great because they've got sort of a bit of a contoured grip. Yeah. So around sort of the index finger, a little bit narrower, and then around sort of the the pinky. Uh, a little bit of a wider, greater grip, so it's supposed to feel very nice in terms of your uh, your hand there. But yeah, it looks great. Uh, I've seen quite a few boys online using them, so but they're they're pretty costly, and I don't oh. think you can actually get them here in uh, in Australia. So obviously, you're getting them shipped over US US costs as well. But you know, put put it this way: if it's something that you're going to use for for the rest of your life, then you'll obviously get the use out of it, right? But um. I've just exactly been eyeing them handles. off for a good amount of time. Like, do I invest in this? I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe we should buy them all together and we'll just ship them between our houses for everyone's mm. bicep day. Fair. <laughs> yeah. But what about... Lawrence only gets one. Yeah, exactly. Just keep Sorry, smashing mate. that. Yeah. Um, is I knew there any... exactly what ones he was talking about. As soon as he said one attachment, I knew exactly what handles it was going to be. I think they might even have them over at the uh, gym that we trained at. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I okay. think they had them up on the wall there. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Because I was, thought you were actually going to say, DC, the like the hook ones from Prime, which Nunez has a pair of those as well, where you kind of mm. like, you know, you kind of hook your hand yeah. over and it's got like the pivot. They've got yeah. some... They're called the uh, the Rotates. R-O-T-A. Yeah, they're nice. Yeah, they, they're look, really they nice. look great as well. They're, I mean, they're pretty similar to, I guess, uh, a mag grip, but it's just basically a, a single attachment, mm. right? So like... The, your hands work irris- ir- irrespective of one another yeah. uh, more independent of one another i should say yeah uh, they look good as well and i think they're all done i think kaz is also done yeah. i think it's, it's also prime usa right i think that's yeah the prime. Awesome. yeah because yeah. we wanted yeah dude they're not cheap man nothing from prime is cheap but we were actually um i checked with jack just so that he could have some input on this episode i asked him what his favorite attachment was and he said it's like the V-bar with those really big black balls on the end. Um, yeah. He just loves it. He generally does them for like face pulls. Skull just crushes. Has it like knocking it in the head. Um, Skull he crushes swears too. By them. Yeah, he swears by them. Yeah. Yeah. Guillotine well, presses, you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. His mouth's That's always a- open as well when he does them. It's kind of weird. weird, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Increased oxygen intake. Oh, uh, mate, yeah. Uh, gotcha. He's got some strong old lungs, that boy. That's why his triceps are so big. Like, mm. it all makes sense now. Yeah, I reckon we'll uncover more of his secrets as we go on today. But um, another question asked, which we got... See, I, I remember him doing those cable pull-throughs with them as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I actually didn't... I didn't even know he had an attachment when he was doing <laughs> yeah. those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't bat an eye. <laughs> Stole it right out of my mouth. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, that's so good. Um, well, lads, nicotine in prep. Anything? I mean, I don't think any of us have experimented it with us personally. Um, although I, you know, I have seen you know Dy just smashing a few ciggies at the end of a leg day. Um, is it anything that clients have maybe mentioned to you? Like, hey, because um, obviously vaping is pretty big now. Um, I know that not all vapes contain nicotine, I believe, but. Is it something you've ever had to like speak to clients about or, you know, if you notice that they're maybe 
doing more of that because i could see the allure you know you're eating less in contest prep you've got this like you know strawberry flavored vape you're probably going to start using that a bit more if you're really hungry and you just want that taste in your mouth but it's probably quite a slippery slope so what's your opinion on that dc I'll be honest, I haven't looked a whole lot into nicotine use in terms of its its benefits. Um, I do know there's obviously the appetite suppressant, but I mean, I do wonder like at that point in prep where that biological urge to consume is so strong, like is vaping really going to just take the edge off? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I've not tried it myself, nor have I had other competitors use it. So um I can't really comment on whether it would be a beneficial strategy or not. So yeah. And funnily enough, I've never had that question from, from athletes as well. Cause I don't really have anyone that smokes, I, I believe in terms of my athlete cohort. So yeah, I can't really comment too much on it, but it, it looks interesting and it's probably something I'll look into a little bit more just to sort of educate myself on that. But um, yeah, not something I've, I've come across. I personally haven't done it and I've never had any of my clients suggest it. It's just one of those things that in prep, for example, like the back end of prep, it's still going to hurt regardless. It's like, no matter if you have a couple of nicotine gums or a couple of ciggies, you're, you're probably still going to be hungry <laughs> regardless. So it's like, it might stump hunger, hunger a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be drastic to the point where it makes that big of a difference. I know that uh, Dean McKillop pretty much did a podcast on it this week. Um, and a couple of things that I pulled off his was like the decreased hunger, increased cognitive function and more calmness with anxiety. Um, if you just wanted to look a little bit more into it, he did an epic podcast. And I guess those are some of some things that you might struggle with on the back end of prep. Maybe you might be a little bit of an anxious individual and maybe the hunger might kick in, especially maybe if you're a female and your calories start getting a little bit lower than what most guys would, then, you know, I could definitely see a place. But that being said, that you're always going to be hungry. So if you're trying to fight it, I think it's just going to maybe increase that hunger just a little bit more. Mm. I wonder if there's any effect with regards to like respiratory health as well. I mean, again, this is a space that I'm not entirely sure of, but uh, like being very immunosuppressed towards sort of the back end of prep. And then perhaps someone who, you know, doesn't smoke a whole lot um, does so in the back end of their prep, like does that increase your risk of, getting sick like i actually you know I'm, I'm just throwing this out there because i again i'd have no idea i i, I would have to to look at look up this a little bit more but mm. you know I, I, think of it, I think of it from the perspective of just introducing something you know completely new towards the back end i mean you don't know yeah you don't know its effect but yeah i'll uh, I'll, I'll look into this a little bit more and get back to you boys on it i think if i was to take it i probably wouldn't have it via smoking i would probably either have it with a gum or a patch maybe sure so, yeah no that makes sense um yeah and look i don't think there's coaches out there who it's you know you open up your check-in it's like what are my numbers carbs fats protein and then like cigarettes per day like i don't think anyone's darts. out here being like you need to start like i think it's probably more about people being like hey can i try this i've heard this like i've seen it on the gram from a few competitors i suppose i just sort of think to myself like obviously within prep we've got tools that we can use to like mitigate hunger and that sort of thing but you know at what point do those tools go too far and, and at what point does the need for those tools to be implemented act as a bit of like a red flag of going you know okay now this person wants to start vaping or they feel like they need you know nicotine to suppress their hunger like I almost think to myself is that the point where you almost ask the bigger question of should this person be prepping if they feel like they need those modalities? Like 
to me, it just seems very extreme to do something like bodybuilding, especially as an amateur, like, you know, actually purposely taking what can be a very addictive substance in order to suppress your hunger. Like that just seems like a very big stretch to me. Why don't you tell me? I see about a 40 pack of Winnie Blues over the back on that desk. Must be ready for prep. Oh man, it's just recreational. That's, um, I'm, I'm suppressing <laughs> my lungs. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to see you out the front of powerhouse gym five months time when you're deep in prep, you know, yeah. and you're just, pulling up to the gym. You're like, there's been a fire, but no, it's just me just smoking a, a huge stack at once. Ashtray on the Audi. I know where Lawrence has been hanging Absolutely. or on the RAV4 maybe. Mate, hopefully by then, hopefully it's here in time. Um, we'll check out what that, the little cigarette lighter in the RAV4 is like. Well, boys, I, I could see, uh, I could see Lawrence, you know, pulling out the cigar and, and basically hitting a cigar post post hack squat, particularly if he's hitting higher numbers than Jack. That might mm. be a you know a good a good reason to to break out the the uh, perhaps the a pipe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just, it just pulls out the pipe, <laughs> little match on top. <laughs> yeah, or mate, DC even better, perhaps a couple death sticks from the streets of Coruscant. <laughs> now we'd be talking now we would be talking but yeah boys before we wrap up i just wanted to give each of us the chance to you know just say something about jack while he was away so i for one really appreciated an episode in which everything was pronounced normally you know jack is he's a bit weird with how he says some words like even on tbd i'm an avid listener there and i'm just like man like where do you come up with this pronunciation like it's just all over the place I think Zarafas was the best one I've seen. Zarafas. Legumes. 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 Yeah, he loves legumes. Legumes. Yeah, there's always something um, with the way he says stuff. So, you know, maybe he is, you know, exotic. Maybe he's got some sort of cultural background that we're not aware of. Mm, mm. My favorite was just the focus is on us boys now. There's no pressure. Yeah. Every time I talk about Lawrence's show date, it's always... But what about 24 down the line? You know, I get to, I get to be present with Lawrence. Mm. And I mean, we couldn't get through last week's episode. You know, every, every question somehow made its way back to him talking about his Tesla. Yeah. Like, yeah <laughs> it, was it was absolutely crazy. ridiculous. Because how he doesn't need petrol. Yeah. And we were, cause we were talking about carbohydrate sources and I said, you know, I quite like white rice. And he said, you know what else is white? My Tesla. And I was like, come on, man. <laughs> like, it's just too much. So that was nice to not have as much of that today. Yeah, I feel like there was a, just a bit more like, a, you know, emotion and, and kind of vibe in everyone's voice as well. Mm. In terms of, uh, you know, how we, how we presented the podcast today. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder what, what would have Jack done for Valentine's Day? Probably cooked a stir fry for Tierra. Mm. Instead of flowers, maybe he would have, you know, caught her a fish. Liquid protein shake. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. Just exactly. a celebratory, uh, you know, cream of rice it turned into a cake in the mm. oven, something like that. Oh, birth. and actually, he, <laughs> he didn't put this in the group chat, which I found interesting. He messaged me separately asking what my cream of rice ratio was. So, you know, Mr. Cream of Wheat in his, you know, the secrets of his own home is actually eating cream of rice. So I just He's thought i fraud. Oh, mate, complete fraud. Probably doesn't even have VPA either. Probably not, no. Complete sellout, really. Check with the powerhouse boy. See what he's been ordering. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll run the data and make sure. Now, what is the optimal uh, cream to rice ratio? Water. Well, I go, I go 100 grams cream of rice, and then I go 50 grams of whey, and then I'll add about 400 mil to that. 
And then after I've added the water, I'll generally just throw it in the microwave for like 30 seconds and then perfection. Very good. I think in prep, when I was trying to volumize my oats as much as possible and cream of rice, I like creeped it up to like a six to one ratio. It's like as you, as you, as you get obviously a lot hungrier. Yeah, would, I'll be tripling uh, that at least. Doubling the uh, one and a half times in the water intake. It's going to take about three hours in the microwave to cook the cream of rice, but you know I'll have like a, a small bucket worth by the end. So I'll just be full of water and air. Yeah, see, I, I always stove cooked my oats when I was in prep. It was just got to. Yeah, more volume, more water. Mm. Like, takes longer to cook too, so you can stall yeah. out uh stall out the meal timing by about three extra minutes. Yeah, which is crucial. Crucial come prep. <laughs> Saved me. You know, you're yeah. starting to get hungry in a prep where you start to like emit your uh, your protein powder from from your oats, because for, for me <laughs> as an example, like uh, you know you obviously want to consume as much of your protein as, as solid food. So if I was eating up, you know, let's say 20 grams, 30 grams of whey, uh, that could have been additional like chicken or mince or something like that. So started to consume my oats pretty, pretty plain. And uh, <laughs> that's when, you know, you're getting pretty hungry because oats just by itself. I mean, it's, it's tolerable, but obviously adding a bit of protein powder certainly makes it more enjoyable. Instead of like maple syrup on top of the oats, he's like sprinkling chicken that's mm. been blended up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blended well, chicken, poured it over the top, or a chicken breast and oats for breakfast. Yeah. Well, Blair, the um, the my my ex boss who who runs Power Subs, he actually has plain unflavored cream of rice, and then he just puts the chicken in that. Nah, that's you can't. What? That's, like, that's, that's tough, man. The cream of rice is straight sandpaper. Like it, it that's the kind of texture you yeah, get. It's like baby food. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think you can have that plain to be fair, but well, cause that's what a lot of people were doing. They were just ordering like baby rice, weren't they? Before cream of rice, like really became a thing. I think they got the rice flour from the McKenzie's and then I'll yeah. it that way. But I think you can buy like what's called baby rice. Like it's made for infants. Hmm. Mm, yeah, yeah, you can. I'm pretty sure. Mm. I think I've walked past it in the aisle and I'm what the shit and had to look a little bit closer, more closely the, to it. What's the difference with the creamy rice? No, I think it's the same. Like it's just rice flour, uh, but it's because, you know, you could imagine feeding a baby cream of rice, but I'll be feeding my baby cream of rice with whey and it'll be yeah. having the whole hundred grams. So I'm not playing around. <laughs> no nap until you eat this entire bowl. Dude, straight up, straight up. Well, boys, that's a, a wonderful chat. Thank you both for being here today. And, you know, to those who couldn't be here today, we just, you know, ask for a little bit more commitment in the future, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. We joke, of course. Jack does a great job. He's a, he is a, a valued member of this team and we can't wait to have him back. Absolutely. Beautiful, boys. Well, ladies and gents, thanks so much for tuning in today. It's been another episode of Bodybuilding Down Under. As always, you can tag the main page. You can tag the four of us, even Jack, you know, throw him a bone on this one. And you can also leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. We'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new show. And until then, we will catch you later. Mm-hmm.